0: let us pray Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight O Lord our rock and our Redeemer amen so today we continue our series looking at the life of David if you actually have a Bible you will want to turn to 2nd Samuel chapter 1. In this chapter, we heard Kathleen read that David hears of the defeat of the army of the Israelites at the hands of their dreaded enemy, the Philistines. And he learns of the tragic death of King Saul and also his son, Jonathan. In verses 11 and 12, we see David's reaction to the news of Saul's death and that of Jonathan. We are told he took his clothes and tore them he was devastated. He was beside himself with grief. He mourned. He wept. He fasted. Now, for those of you who have been following along and understanding the complicated relationship between David and Saul, you might have expected that David would have been rejoicing when he heard that his enemy, that his rival, had died. But he wasn't he mourned. Now, David and Saul have a very complicated relationship. Last week, our priest David told us how Saul's jealousy, his hatred, his spite, and his ungodliness led to many attempts to kill David. It's important to remember that Saul wasn't always like that. He came to the throne humble, but he left hardened and bitter. Remember, Saul, on the onset, was the perfect-looking king. He was big. We're told he was like a head taller than everyone else. And he looked good. And he was impressive. And he proved to be a great warrior. But from early on, he forgot to trust God. He forgot to follow his instructions. And he often took matters into his own hands. Saul quickly forgot who was giving him the victory. In scripture, we are told God was grieved when he made Saul king. God did not want a king that was big and impressive and great in other people's eyes. He wanted a king that would obey him. And with David's anointing, And David's success in battle saw, saw his grip on the throne slipping. So his desire to kill David grew and grew. David was forced to run. Now, it's so sad because we go from the first attempt to killing him to his death. And we don't understand that there was some eight years in between when David was on the run. When david was hiding when david was in the wilderness when david was in caves when david was fearful for his life as saul and his army pursued him the interesting thing was as david was in the desert many men gravitated towards him so he himself traveled with an army several times we are told in those chapters before saul's death that David had an opportunity two, maybe three times, to actually take Saul's life. But in spite of his companions possibly egging him on, David did not kill Saul. You see, David realized that Saul was God's anointed. David believed that it was God's job to deal with Saul. God was completely able to deal with Saul. And David, unlike Saul, was not going to take God's matters into his own hands. So thus, here we are. David has heard of the news of Saul and he mourns. Please notice the contrast between Saul's hatred and David's love note verse 12 it says all the men mourned with david now remember these are men that were in the wilderness with him these were men that were fleeing too these were men that probably hated saul as much as david and probably were happy to see that he had died but they followed their leader's example and answered Saul's hatred with love, reminding each one of us here that hatred, bitterness, revenge, unforgiveness are chosen, not imposed. In the passage, we see that David's sorrow was first for Saul and then for Jonathan and then for the fallen men of Israel. One of the reasons that I love reading about David's life is we see a man after God's own heart. David loved God. David trusted God. David was not perfect. In fact, you see throughout his life that there are times of great success and there are times of great joy, but there is also times of colossal failure, great sadness, and all-consuming sorrow. Whenever I read of David's raw emotions in Samuel, I identify more with his failings than I do with his sadness. I identify more with, with his struggle than I do with his success. For when I read even his psalms, I find words of deep longing, and soul, my soul is questioning and finds words in his poems. David was not just a great king, as many of you know. He was also a great poet. And today's scripture, we see David craft a lament to express his deep sorrow. And through this lament, he gave the people of Israel a gift. He gave them a way to focus their loss, a way to process their grief, a way to... Explore their shocking realization that their king is dead. A way to put into words their horrible, horrible, horrible grief. David's lament gave them permission to feel all the emotions they were feeling. In verse 17, David introduces his lament properly. He says this is a lament for Saul and Jonathan. The first part, for Saul and Jonathan, and the second part, for Jonathan alone. Now David was a wise leader, and he knew that he had to lead the nation in mourning. He told them to teach the children of Judah, and to write it in the book of Jahar. Now Jahar, that book was probably a book that contained Israel's great deeds. David knew as a good leader how important it was for Israel to mourn the defeat. It's kind of like a prime minister that may order all flags to be flown at half mass. The lament was a sign of national mourning. As we in Canada try to unpack the horrors of our residential school system, we too as a nation will have to look to our indigenous leaders To give us meaningful ways to mourn and to lament with them. Lamenting is not fun. Because it forces us to face truths we don't want to face. Yet lamenting is necessary. In David's lament he begins by saying in verse 19. Your glory is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Now glory in in the version that um, Kathleen read was the gazelle. Now think about a mighty buck, um, majestic, on the mountain that he should have conquered lying dead. It's almost as if David was saying, how can this be that the mighty has fallen? In verse 20, David tells them not to speak about it in Gath or Ashkelon. These are cities in, the, in Philistine. David cannot bear the idea that they will be celebrating, celebrating the death of Saul and his sons. But of course, this plea was hopeless because David himself would know that as soon as the Philistines got to Saul, they would chop off his head They would tear off his armor, and they would parade it through the streets of Philistine. Nothing he could say, nothing he could do, would be able to stop the singing, the dancing, and the rejoicing in Philistine. And yet, he desperately pleaded that it wouldn't be so. In verse 21, David then pronounces a curse on Mount Gilboa, where Saul and Jonathan died. He wants the mountain to be devoid of all life, as it was there that Saul and Jonathan fell. Let me read verses 22 and 23. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan in life, they were loved, and gracious, and in death they were not parted note that David as he laments does not talk about the failings of Saul he does not talk about his temperament he does not talk about the lack of complete unity between Saul and Jonathan instead he points out that Jonathan was at his father's side in death he talks about them being swifter than eagles stronger than lions this is poetic license appropriate for a funeral, appropriate to attest to the greatness of these great men. In verse 24, O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. He clothed you in scarlet and finery. He adored your garments with ornaments of gold. David is reminding the women that Saul's many military successes paved the way for Israel's prosperity. No matter what people thought about Saul, David reminded them of this mighty man that did great things for them. And then David turns his attention and his grief to his close friend, Jonathan. We are told that from the moment of their first encounter, they were like kindred spirits. They made a covenant of friendship, and in more than one occasion, Jonathan helped David escape at the hands of Saul. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than of women. I love how David identifies the glory in this part to Jonathan. I always thought Jonathan was underrated. We never hear much about Jonathan. But David reminds everyone that Jonathan was a mighty warrior in his own right. I wonder if you noticed that David had called the others to weep for Saul. But he was all consumed when he thought of Jonathan and addressed him personally as if Jonathan was still alive and you know as we lament as we miss people we sometimes do that very thing we sometimes speak to them as if they were right there Jonathan was very dear to David this would not been of a surprise everyone knew that Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne yet he never clung to those rights Jonathan's love for David was selfless He recognized early on God's hand on David's life and he wanted to help David reach his full potential. Many, many, many scholars have talked about the relationship between David and Jonathan. Sometimes we say, what kind of relationship was it? Obviously, they were so involved with each other and they cared so deeply. But to understand this love between David and Jonathan, one should read about the deep friendships that exist between men who have shared intense combat. Stephen Ambrose captured the sentiment in his book titled Band of Brothers. David and Jonathan became friends before Saul plotted to kill David. But it was when they were facing danger and intrigue and had to run and had to escape and had to evade Saul's murderous plots that their bond was intensified and their commitment to each other grew. Verse 27, how the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. David ends his lament Coming to terms with the reality that Jonathan is among the fallen. The battle is over. And the weapons of war perished. David wanted all of Judah to know this lament. For families in Israel, remember, all had a place in this lament. It was not only Saul. It was not only David who died. But many sons and many husbands, so he gave them this lament so they could lament for their sons, for their husbands, as well as for their kingdom, as well as for their king, as well as for the king's sons. David was an inspired, poetic master. He knew the power of poetry. Even today, David's lament can play a part in helping each of us verbalize and sit in our grief. I just want to mention something you might not have noticed. It's very interesting in David's lament that he never mentions God. He never mentions God. He does not suggest that God's providence has any part in the event. In fact, it would be considering the circumstances inappropriate to say that God's providence has had any part in the event. But the fact that David does not mention God speaks volumes. We all know there's going to come a day when David will be able to celebrate and proclaim God's goodness and faithfulness. But this was not the day. David's lament reminds us that it is okay to take time to grieve, to mourn, to lament loss, any loss. David's lament reminds us that it's okay to feel all of the feelings we feel. He reminds us that sometimes we have to come together to share our grief and our loss. David reminds us that sometimes it's okay To have a hard time understanding God's providence during overwhelming grief. It is okay to ask for things that don't make sense. It's okay to want things that will never come to pass. During this season of COVID, many of us have faced incredible losses. And we have been unable to share them with each other. If you are someone who has faced a loss of any kind, as restrictions lift, I urge you to reach out to someone and to share your grief and to share your sadness and to share your longing and to share your loneliness. Always remember that David, who will be back on Monday, and myself are willing to meet with you at any time. But for those of you who are not lamenting, who are feeling pretty good right now, please be mindful of all those around you who are lamenting. Be willing to sit with them and hear their lament and mourn with them. Let me end by reading a few verses of a powerful poem written by Richard Gillard many of you may have heard these verses put to music brother sister let me be your servant let me be as christ to you pray that i might have the grace to let you be my servant too we are pilgrims on a journey we are sisters and brothers on the road we are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace you long to hear. I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen this journey through may god give each of us the grace to not only share in others joys but also in others laments amen